what I really would love all women to know is that the guru and the doctor lives within you. And all you need is the right mentor and the guide to bring that guru forward and that you ultimately hold the entire key to your healing. Aligning yourself with someone who's going to teach you what to do for yourself and then you carrying that on and knowing that the doctor's within you, I think that that's the 21st century medicine. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyburn, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Isahadada. Welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm super excited to sit down with you because many years ago, well, not that many years ago, but like three and a half years ago, I went to your clinic, your Renew PT, to get pelvic floor work after having my first baby. Yeah. Yeah. And now here we are sitting down. We're going to talk everything and anything about pelvic floor health because I think so many women need to know. And you have been doing it for, for a really long time in New York. Yeah, yeah, for 12 years. It's really interesting. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. I'm super excited to bring this information to your community and your audience. And you never know why things evolved as they should, right? So after I had my daughter, I knew nothing about the pelvic floor. I was a physical therapist. In PT school, they taught me absolutely nothing. I got a 30-minute lecture on the pelvic floor. And I believe that everything happens for a reason. We may not be able to connect the dots, you know, looking forward, but we do, we can't connect them looking back. And I was, I had so much pelvic trauma Hmm. after the birth of my daughter. I mean, seriously, pelvic trauma. I had everything. I call it the, the new mom trifecta. You know, I had leaking, I had painful sex, and I had a pelvic organ prolapse. And I kept going back to my physician, who's a really good friend of mine. And he kept saying, hey, everything is fine. Everything is perfect. And I'm like, well, how can everything be perfect if I feel so lousy? If I'm wearing panty liners, I mean, how is this perfect? Mm -hmm. And from that, I went on what I call the Dr. Rose show, right? Trying to find answers and solutions for these problems. And I came up empty-handed really yeah. empty handed. And then that's when I pivoted my entire life. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to help women heal from pelvic floor dysfunction. That's when I said, this is it. I am so done with the Dr. Rosha. I'm so done. And, you know, I come from a line of indigenous healers. So in my culture, we understand that there is holistic and lifestyle medicine, that that's the first line of approach, right? And so then I just said, okay, I, I stopped doing what I call simple orthopedic physical therapy and went and researched and studied and followed anybody who could teach me anything about the pelvic floor. And then that was my journey. And right now I've pivoted my, my brick and mortar to an online forum because I wanted to reach more women, you know, go more global with the information. Cause I think that this information needs to be in the hands of every single woman out there, yeah. every single one. So I think one of the things I see often and hear about is this focus of the Kegel and to like pull the pelvic floor up, draw it up, 
engage. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I find that leads to dysfunction. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Kegels are getting a bad rap, right? And I think that we have to remember that Kegels are very serious medicine. Just like you would take a supplement, you wouldn't just take a supplement without knowing the dosage, the amount, what type of supplement you would take and how many. The same thing with the Kegel. I think what happens when the Kegels fail most women, and they do, is that there's not the counterbalance, the reverse Kegel. And women are, and and practitioners too, are only thinking about the pelvic floor as just central vagina exercises. And they forget that we're a totally interconnected being, right? That the pelvic floor muscles is like the relay station. I call it Grand Central Station because I live in New York, (laughs) right? Grand Central Station. So it's like, if it's Grand Central Station, everything coming in and going down has to be considered, right? So Kegels are a part of a really good pelvic health program. But what happens is too many women are doing them incorrectly. Actually, 25% of women are doing them incorrectly. I find that most women are doing the same kind of Kegel where I have 25 different types of Kegels in my programs that you can do, right? And I find that they're doing too much. And I call that Kegel tension syndrome without having the counterbalance, right? I mean, like I said, listen, let's, let's be real here. You can't do this. (laughs) <laughs> right all day long i think like that's really gonna work i mean does that make any sense so when you when, when a woman is pulling up and in and there are ways and cues to do that then you the most important part of everything is the release and the let go right to create that range of motion to create the coordination of the muscle right and to create more power like you wouldn't go to the gym and do ten thousand leg lifts right? Without maybe doing an inner thigh work or without doing a stretch. So I find that what happens, and I think it's it's a misinformation out there that they say Kegels don't work. Well, Kegels don't work because the majority of women are not, they're not doing it correctly or they're not being advised to do it in a certain way that creates success, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't like to put down Kegels, but I also don't think that that's the, the, the only thing that you should be doing. Right. So for women who don't know what a reverse Kegel is, can you, can you give us a visual, a dis- description? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, for me, is I don't allow anyone to do a Kegel in my program or in my center or when I'm doing my thing, unless they know how to release and let go fully and completely. Because it makes no sense, right? Honestly, when you think about just physiological, you know, approach to muscle training. So for the reverse Kegel, it's done with the in-breath, right? So it's very deep breathing. Now, a lot of us are are trained to do diaphragmatic breathing. And I love diaphragmatic breathing for the pelvic floor. It really helps. But what I find with, I call it Kegel breathing or reverse Kegel breathing, where you have to breathe deeper than the belly, lower than the belly into the vagina, right? And then you want to imagine that depending on that your vagina is a very tight rose in the springtime that's about to blossom and open, right? So as you're doing the breath work, you have to do the visualization, right? Because sometimes you need visualization, you need breath work, or you need positioning to accomplish the exercise, right? So child's pose is a great position for reverse kegels because it naturally puts your muscles into a relaxed position and then you can breathe into i'll point this out i'll try to hold it you can breathe right into this spot here 
It's like the perineum. Yeah, and I call that the queendom point, <laughs> right? Because that's our queendom. And if you breathe into that, then you really want to be thinking about that spot going out towards your, towards your feet and opening and releasing, right? So a Kegel will be the opposite, right? A Kegel, that spot will come up and in, right? Ideally, up and in with no accessory motions in the pelvis. And this one, when you breathe in, will come up and out. So you can place your finger there and you can breathe into that spot and get the most magnificent reverse Kegel. That's the first step. Yeah. So this is just a personal observation. And I'm wondering if, you know, you, you've done much more pelvic floor work. I'm just <laughs> more of like the rehab strength training of the whole body. But I've noticed that women who maybe do a lot of bar, like there's certain kind of mm-hmm. exercises that if women do a lot of, or like jump rope or dance cardio or um, sometimes Pilates, that sometimes it's hard for those women when they go into labor to let go and like let the baby come through. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes um, afterwards, like the the trauma of the birth is like maybe there's more tearing or maybe they had a C-section because there was that hard time of letting go. Yeah. And I think that's a metaphor for life, right? Because when you think about the pelvic floor being the seat of creation, and when you think about it as being the energetics behind it, right? Mm -hmm. Women who have tight pelvic floor, and especially if they're doing a lot of strength, length, and tone, they're doing soul cycle, if they're doing, uh, you know, a slew of other craziness, and they're not creating the counterbalance, right? I actually was going to write a program for that, just how to create vaginal healing. And actually, I'm giving you guys a, a free handout for that. But the thing is with that is that the pelvic floor muscle has to open and let go and release. So it has to be trained with the reverse Kegel in the prenatal period. But what's happening is that women are scared to do Kegels. Women are scared to do reverse Kegels because there's so much conflicting information out there, right? So for me, women who have pain, who are very tight, who tend to do these very high-end athletic types of programs, maybe are not a candidate for Kegels until they create the balance, Mm. right? And if the woman is doing a lot of like Pilates and we're, we're squeezing that coccyx up into our throats, right? (laughs) the counterpart to that would be breath work meditation and yoga right because i mean we know that the pelvic floor muscles they need more right i like yoga for the pelvic floor i like meditation i like definitely strengthening i'm a, a personal trainer for over 30 years and then i find that women who are pregnant have a diastasis recti separation that no one is addressing. And it's really difficult when the muscles are too tight and then you can't use your core to push the baby out. Then that puts you behind the eight ball, right? So I think that all women in the prenatal period should be tested for diastasis recti separation because in the postpartum period, 52% of women have a DRA. Now, if you have a diastasis recti separation, then you are at high risk for prolapse, sexual pain, low back pain, and leaking. So something like sensible core work that doesn't involve crunches, because I don't believe in crunches, is something that can help prenatally and also can help women in the postpartum period recover very quickly, especially if there's been a lot of trauma in the pelvis. Maybe, you know, you let that go, you let that heal, you do the breath work, but you work on your core because we know that the core is connected, right? Like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to the pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. to the fascial system, right? Yep. 
there's so many ways to to train the pelvic floor, right? It's it's only limited by experience, I would say, right? Does that make so, sense? Yeah. So after my first baby, I go to my six week checkup with my well, I had a midwife, and I also went to see my OB. They're like, all right, you know, you can work out. I do a lot of strength training with kettlebells. And so I went to my girlfriend's kettlebell class and was just doing what I had done pre-birth, but I was like eight weeks postpartum. And I started to feel like a pulling pain down into my leg, like down to my knee. Yeah. And when I went to your center, I can, and I thought I was like, oh my God, am I having some sort of like nerve pain? Like sometimes I couldn't fully extend and bend my knee. And it was really uncomfortable. And someone, I, for, I forget who I saw, but they were amazing at your center, did a trigger point release, right? Internally from the inside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that is it. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. totally like, psh, like melted away after like days. It might've been even weeks of like, I'm like, oh my God, this pain. So can you talk about, because I think a lot of women, you know, they go to the six week checkup and they get the okay to... Mm-hmm. work out, go back to what they were doing before, but maybe there should be a certain kind of like progression into like <laughs> returning to <laughs> what we do, not just like going to like a 50 minute class and just going all out like I did. <laughs> I, I want to tell you something. One of the things that makes me the absolute craziest <laughs> where I'm going to write a letter to the physician mm-hmm. is when I, when I start to hear a blanket, go resume your regular activity, go back, to having sex and the physician or the midwife, and I love them to death, but they're not trained unless they're taking my professional programs on how to evaluate the pelvic floor. I believe that you don't have a right to make that recommendation unless you've evaluated the woman's pelvic floor for strength, endurance, trigger points, scarring, coronation, and you put her on a sensible postpartum rehab program so that she can go back and do something like what you did without hurting herself, right? So what do I hear at six-week checkups? I mean, I've done over 14,000 healings. So I hear this in, you know, over 52,000 in my center. Women come back, they're like, oh, no, Isa, I can do whatever I want. And then I have to try to convince them not to. Right? <laughs> I'm like behind the eight ball. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you can't do that. You're going to prolapse. Oh, you can't do that. You're leaking. Yeah. You know, you got to, the thing with the body is that the body wants to be in a state of homeostasis. It wants to go in the direction of healing, right? But you got to meet it where it's at and you have to listen to the cues that it's telling you, right? So many times as women, we are, we override any cue that comes into our body. We're like, nah, I, you know, my doctor told me this or my personal train, trainer told me this or my Pilates instructor taught me this. But unless you really understand the nuances of your pelvic floor. And I believe that we can't, as women, we can't outsource our vaginas anymore. (laughs) Yeah. We got to stop outsourcing that. You really got to know for yourself what's going on. And you have to, you have to be very well educated. I'm not saying not go to a pelvic physical therapist. I'm saying, yeah, sure, go do that. But you also at the same time need to understand how to care for your body for the rest of your life. It doesn't just stop when the PT is over, right? Right. So what would be some things that women should think about or do after, like maybe at that six week, they got the clearance, the okay. What would be some things like the next steps 
for women to do to start healing their pelvic floor after, let's say they had a natural birth? Okay. So vaginal, vaginal birth. I mean, I think the most important thing is to first test for diastasis recti separation and make sure you're not separated. I really believe that impact exercises are detrimental right? In, in, so in the beginning, would be like running, that would be the, the critical one, right? Mm-hmm. Holding the breath, pushing with defecation or urination can increase your risk of prolapse. I would really try to avoid anything to do with constipation, especially if you're taking um, the iron pills, you know, that they give you or any kind of prenatal pills, make sure that you're seeing a nutritionist like that, make sure that your bomb bladder habits are, are proper. I really believe that avoiding lifting anything heavier than the baby will probably be something that's sensible and will keep you safe, right? I had a woman once, I mean, this big time supermodel, and she felt fine. She had a fourth degree tear. Her PT and her her doctor didn't give her any modifications, and she pushed the couch, and she opened up all her stitches, and she had to have another repair. So there's a reason in Spanish we call it la cuarentena, which is the fourth trimester. It's three months after you give birth, where we start to rehab the body. And you don't want to immediately go back. Like the most important thing is like, if you're doing an activity and you, you worked out before, then how do you feel? Is it giving you more pelvic pressure? Is it giving you a pull down the leg? Is it giving you any kind of nerve issue? Is it making you leak? Right? These are all signs. Do you feel some numbness? Do you have pain? This is your body communicating with you about what's going to work and what isn't going to work. Mm. Right. So if you want to resume activity, I think listening to your body is probably the most important thing. And, 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 and being sensible, like don't pull couches, don't go running, you know, until you've done some kind of body work. And whether that be chiropractic work, which, by the way, is an absolute must after labor and delivery because your pelvis is whacked. That's an absolute must. Exercises, core work, Kegels and reverse Kegels are a combination of both. Yeah. Does healing from a natural, so a vaginal birth, is it different than healing from a C-section? Yeah, absolutely. I think healing from a C-section is so much more difficult, so much more painful. And the irony of that, I mean, I created a program for cesarean healing in my center because what I found was that women thought that when they had a cesarean that they had no pelvic floor dysfunction because nothing came out of their vaginas, right? Baby didn't come out of their vagina. So they're like, I'm good down there, right? And what we forget as women is that we have a baby inside of us for nine months and we have all that physiology on top of us right? And they were surprised. Not only sometimes the cesarean was an emergency cesarean, sometimes it was elected, but there was always a sense of loss and grief Mm. with the cesarean. What I found is that they didn't know how to even, they weren't instructed on how to even massage a C-section. They weren't instructed on binding. Thank God some hospitals now are binding the women so you don't leave there with all that pain. There's certain simple things that you can do, right? Mm -hmm. But these women are not advised. And I find that because there's no, they're not advised and they're not seeking help that they're behind the eight ball because it develops a lot of scar tissue. What happens when that scar tissue develops, sometimes it's urgency and frequency, trigger points in the belly that need to be addressed right? Because trigger points are not only in the pelvic floor or on the glutes or on the back or the here, but they can also occur on a cesarean. And yeah. when there's a trigger point on the cesarean, it, re- it, it radiates. It becomes like a radiculopathy, 
mm-hmm. which is really interesting, right? So I find that it's harder and, you know, it's a major surgery. So we got to be thinking about that, right? We have to respect that healing process yeah. as women and take it easy. I noticed a lot of women, and I didn't realize this until seeing women with C-sections, that right around the C-section scar, they're like, oh, it feels numb. I can't mm-hmm. really feel anything. And that is, you know, women 20, 30 years out after they had a C-section. Yeah. They, they yeah. There's so much emotion around it, right? Like I have women who, if you ask them if they've massaged the scar and they're like, oh, I don't even look at it. I, I haven't touched it in 20 years. <laughs> Yeah. There's so much there's so much emotion around it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of emotion too. And I think that there's a lack of education from OBGYNs and, and that are caring for these women and saying, Hey, listen, you need to do some sort of scar therapy to rehab your core. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, it's gonna be numb, but the more you touch it, the more you desensitize it, the easier it's gonna bounce back. And when you do that, and a lot of them sometimes have a, like a little pooch or they have scar tissue. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating for women, you know, because they don't know what to do. But I find that once they do the manual work and they can do some basic little circles on it once it's completely healed, or they can do different kinds of stretches, right? That releases the fascial tension there, then it's not such a heated topic, right? Some women grow their pubic hair over their their C sections. They're like, I don't want to see it. But the thing is, that's, that's a major surgery. That's like any other surgery that you have in your body. You still need to address it. And you still need, you, I would always recommend that you rehab yourself from that. Yeah. Yeah. After that initial period of peeling, of getting scar work done, of getting trigger point work done, what do you recommend women do then? I recommend that they do what they, what they really love. Yeah. And what resonates with them and what keeps them healthy and vital and happy, right? No point in working out if you can't stand the exercise, Yeah. right? (laughs) And so many people, oh, I do it it because it makes me thin, but I hate it. And I'm like, so what's the point of that? What message are you sending to your body, right? To your your spirit and your soul. So I really like women to pick something that they're going to stick with. Yeah. And sometimes they can just do a home exercise program instead of having to go to a gym, if that's easier, they're a busy executive or whatever, and they can't do a, a formal program, but fi- you know, design something for yourself. But I think the most important thing is, how do you stick with the program and how do you have a self-care program that's going to keep you vital, strong, right, supple, and in your body? So really align yourself with people who have your philosophy, who have your back, and do something that you love. Stop doing these fat exercises because you read about like, I don't know, bar. I, mean, I don't care what it is. I, I'm an equal opportunity trainer. Like I like for the woman to tell me what really resonates with them and then I'll design something around that. And if I can't do it, then I'll refer her out to someone who can, right? Yeah. So I think that love of exercise, adhering to a self-care program is more important than the type of exercise that you pick. As long as you're exercising, moving your body, I think that that's the key thing. Yeah. Let's talk about leaking because I've, I've met some women who, you know, they talk about, they laugh, they sneeze, they kind of mm-hmm. dribble almost like they, they pee a little bit. And I'm like, oh, how old's your baby? And they're like, oh, she's nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about what happens when women experience that? First of all, I think 49% of women leak, right? I know it's that high. Yeah, it's very high. So what happens is we start to think that because something is common, 
that it's normal, right? right? But leaking is not normal. Leaking is your body telling you that you need to make a move, that you need to make a change, that you need to create a self-care program for yourself to strengthen not only your pelvic floor, but the adjacent parts that are connected to it. So I find that women accept it because so many of us leak and pan- I call it panty liner lifestyle. It's like my hashtag. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. I tell women, get rid of your panty liners. It's like me trying to pull a baby off their breasts if they're breastfeeding. I'm like, honestly, it creates an unfavorable area for the tissue, right? So this leaking thing is if you're leaking when you cough, sneeze, or laugh, that means that your body is telling you that you need some work, that you need some pelvic floor work, that you need a better curated self-care program. I see. You touched upon diastasis, but for people who don't know what that is. A diastasis, uh, recti separation, sometimes it's known as the mummy tummy. I can't stand that word, but I'm going to throw it out there because this is how the media does it, right? I love the media. I really do. I'm always on the media, but I, I do love the way they interpret things. And what it is, is that the two six-pack muscles, right? Your two six-pack muscles are connected with a connective tissue called the linea alba, right? And it keeps them together. When there is a pregnancy or when there's poor body mechanics or when there's straining with defecation or urination or when there's just like getting out of bed wrong, you can open up this connective area, right? They're connected, but they can open up and it creates a gap. And when there's a gap in the muscles, in the abdominal muscles, there's two six-pack muscles, women who are pregnant will have a difficult time using their abs to push the baby out, right? If they train properly, they should be able to do that. And that's this erectile separation. Sometimes it's just unflattering to look at. So women get, you know, discouraged because they've tried regular crunches. And regular crunches, when you have a diastasis erectile separation, is going to make it worse, not better worse. And the diastasis recti separation is minimized, right? But the deal is that it does put you at an increased risk for pelvic organ prolapse, low back pain, leaking, and sciatica. So sometimes women think like, it's just my pelvic floor that I have to work on, but they forget to also work on the core and to train that so that you have a system that's actually working cohesively together, right? Right. The system is not working. You, you cannot have power in the pelvic floor if you have a diastasis recti separation. Mm. Um, that's my opinion. There's no way. They're too connected. Right. Too but, connected. And correct me if I'm wrong, but all women who go to full term in their pregnancy will have separation yeah. to make space for the baby. But it's like we don't want to have that separation once the baby comes out. Yeah, I think a separation of one to two fingers if you're testing yourself is normal, but I don't go with normal. I go with optimal, right? So if you have a one to two finger separation and you're still symptomatic, then you need to work on your diastasis recti separation, right? Because I find that women come to me, oh, they told me that this is normal, but they're symptomatic. They have low back pain, they're leaking, they have pressure. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not normal for you. So then what do you do? You have to go back to the basics and you have to Strengthen that system a little bit better, right? I mean, that's wow. what that's that would be my recommendation, right? So don't just go by normal, go by, by optimal health, yeah, because right? we all want optimal health, yeah. 
for diastasis, it's it's the width that's important, but it's also the depth. Is that correct? Yeah, the width and the depth. But sometimes I can mm-hmm. test, you would test two inches at the belly button, two inch. And by the way, in the um, the ultimate guide to happier lady parts, there's a whole thing on testing there. If there isn't, I'll include it for your audience. You want to test how many fingers you could put in this direction in your belly button, two inches below the belly button and two inches above the belly button. You want to keep the testing consistent and you want to test with your knees bent. I don't know why people continue to test with the knees straight, creates so much fascial tension, gives you a false positive. Bend the knees, lift up the head, don't squeeze the abs, and then see how many fingers you can fit in this direction, which would be... Like as if your fingers were pointing down towards your toes. Yes. Two inches above and below the belly button. Yeah. Do you find most happen like at the belly button? It depends. I think if they're more symptomatic in the bladder, it happens below. If they have a cesarean, then the diastasis is recti because the abdominal muscles are pushed forcefully. Yeah. I think that they can get more of a diastasis below. And then that means it's lack of support for the bladder and the uterus. Right. Because right? So, there's not, nothing holding them. Yeah. So there's some systems where they teach to correct the diastasis to do lots of almost like crunch work, almost like trying to pull the two sides of the rectus together. But I found that that hasn't, at least in the women I've seen, it doesn't, it doesn't stick. Like if they don't do the exercises, the separation comes back. I think because the separation also has to do with nutrition and the integrity of, yeah. And the integrity of the collagen. Yeah. Right? So we have to make sure that when we are in the postpartum period that we're really having that bone broth, that we're having, you can put collagen in your smoothie, that you're having heart proteins. If you're a vegetarian, then just do a veggie broth and taking care of yourself from the inside out to continue to take vitamin C is really great for this too. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that sometimes you need some manual therapy, right? So I believe that sometimes the muscles are too adhered. Mm. So I think just really doing some gentle massage across the belly. Let me see if I can stand up and show you, right? Mm-hmm. Across the belly this way, right? So like from the, from the waistline towards the belly button. Yes, yeah. on the side. I find that there's not a diastasis that I can approximate within one visit. Wow. Yeah. I can just say that because it's true. And I find that when I teach the women these manual techniques and abdominal rolling and releasing the trigger points, because when there's a diastasis, what it does, origin and insertion is not in the right place. So what happens? You get trigger points in the belly. Mm-hmm, yeah. And these trigger points prevent you from closing up the, the, the diastasis, right? Yeah. So then you would look at your six pack up and down and find for little painful knots. And what I would recommend is that you t- I have one right here. As a matter of fact, hold that painful spot for about 90 seconds and try to release the diastasis mm-hmm. and then do the splinter head raises. Mm. You can't, you can't rehab the core after labor and delivery in a cesarean if you're not addressing the trigger points in the belly. Yeah. If yeah. you're not addressing the fascial tension, right? I mean, that's just, that's, and I, I've seen this over and over again when women just do the exercises that they do bounce back and forth, just like you said, Emily. Do you find that women who have more hypermobility, so like laxity in their tissue, their joints are not super stable, have more issues, like have more potential for prolapse, for the separation? 
Yeah, I really do. Because the one thing that we forget about the pelvic floor is that it's a primary stabilizer of the lumbar, hip, and pelvic area, right? So as a stabilizer, if you're loosey-goosey, you have to work through the pelvic floor to create more stability. And if you don't have a self-care program, a pelvic health program, then what's going to happen is that you, you're at a high risk because you are more flexible or more hypermobile, right? Yeah. Same thing happens with women who are too tight, right? They have to release and let go before they can create. And they also have, so some women can leak because they're too tight, not necessarily because they're too weak. Yeah. Or to lose. So what are some, if you could give us like a sneak peek to like some essential components of that self-care program? The first thing that I do, and I do this with my V-Core Lift program and my female public alchemy program, which are online programs. The very first thing that I do, which is people hate me for it, but I do teach the anatomy. I think you need to know your own pelvic anatomy. I think it's really important because if you're going to to do it, and and we and I keep it really simple, but I think knowing a little bit about your anatomy and taking a mirror out and looking at yourself is important. Just like we do monthly exams, we should be doing monthly vulvovaginal observations or exams just to look at things. I think foundational principles based on body mechanics and physiology are really important. What does that mean? That means you listen to your body. And if something gives you a symptom, then your body's already telling you that's not what you should be doing. But I don't like, I like in this period to really be careful with impact exercises, to be careful, like I said before, with pushing, with defecation and urination. Some women just push the urine out because they have bladder issues or they don't want to leak or dehydration is is important. I think if you're dehydrated, that's going to prevent pelvic healing, right? Things are going to get too brittle and the bladder gets very upset. So that's critical. So sometimes we feel like the big, huge things are the things that are going to bring you forward in your pelvic healing. And no, it's actually the way you carry your body day to day and your posture counts. Sitting is the new smoking for the pelvic floor, right? So I don't recommend sitting longer than 20 to 45 minutes without getting up, doing a stretch or doing something. I think that the longer you sit, and if you sit in, in bad ergonomics, and if you sit in sacral sitting, like, you know, slumped over, I don't care how many Kegels you're doing. I don't care if you've seen the best, even if you're seeing me, you're going to have limited success because you haven't addressed the container, the physical aspects of your being. So postural exercises are very important for pelvic healing Thing, and, and the way you carry your body, right? Yeah. What kind of postural exercises? Oh, my favorite one is I call it sister, can you spare a dime? Where <laughs> because it, it incorporates all the muscles at once. These, these are part of my 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 exercise program. I, I really when I created the online programs, I really took all my protocols and bring the women through the protocol, right? So sister, can you spare a dime? Is your palms are facing up, you're holding a dynaband, you're bringing your belly button in and up using your transverse abdominal muscle. You're doing a baby Kegel, not a lot, baby. And then you bring your arms out to the side, sort of like out to the side as you're holding the band, and you bring your shoulder blades in and down to your back pocket. So now you're working external rotators, bicep, TRA, pelvic floor, and all the primary stabilizers of your, of your back. So that one exercise hits like 10 muscles. It's a beautiful exercise. 
because it's so simple, people, and women are like, ah, poof, poof it. I'm like, no, this is going to bring you to the promised land. I promise you. <laughs> you know? They're like, what the hell are you give me this simple shit for? I'm like, oh, pardon my French. And I'm like, because this is what's going to work for you. This is how you build, right? This is a foundational exercise. Yeah. The simplicity of it, right? Yeah. Can you talk about prolapse? Because I think a lot of women don't know what it is or they'll feel pressure and won't know what it is. And is it possible to help with pelvic floor rehab? Yeah. I think pelvic organ prolapse, and and by the way, 50% of older women in this country have a pelvic organ prolapse of some degree, one being the most minimal, four being completely out of the body, and it can affect the uterus, the bladder, the rectum, or the intestines, right? So you can have four different types of prolapses. I find that those women really need to be on a very well-curated Kegel, reverse Kegel program, and core program absolutely important. I find that many women feel less symptomatic. Can you reverse the prolapse? I'm not sure about that. I've seen it happen with some women, but the literature, very difficult, but I think that you will feel less pressure, less leaking, less discomfort, and you can resume sexual activity and feel, you know, improve your sexual function. So if you have a pelvic organ prolapse and you feel sometimes it's really weird, like something's about to fall out, of your vagina, or you feel like something is inside your vagina or your rectum, or sometimes you feel like there's a bubble. Like mine, I have a third-degree bladder prolapse. Mm-hmm. I'm not symptomatic with it. Why? Because I take care of myself and I exercise. I do the things that I need to do. So with a pelvic organ prolapse, is day-to-day healing, right? The thing with pelvic therapy is that you don't just start it and then you're cured and that's it. It's like any other muscle in the, in the human body. You have to continue to condition it right? And then you get on a maintenance program. So it's really important to know that pelvic health is part of a strength and conditioning program that you have to incorporate both for maximum success of a pelvic organ prolapse. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it before, but you have a guide for the muscle Mm -hmm. medicine listeners, the ultimate guide to happier lady parts. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an ebook and it's just packed full of all the information that we've talked about. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I I really, I mean, I I give a lot of information. I do a lot of um, trying to bring awareness to this subject, but with this guide, I took the top 10 things that I think are necessary. Like here's the top 10. Start here, right? Because I can't, it's impossible for me to give everything, right? And then for those that it resonates with, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll enroll in my online programs, which I recommend everyone do also. But I think that the, the, the ultimate guide to lady parts, that's like a work of art. You know, when I said, okay, I have so much to give. What do I give? Because, you know, I don't want to overwhelm someone and give them like, when I first created this book, it was a 120 page ebook. And oh, everybody wow. was telling me like, no one's going to read this. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> So then I had to narrow that down to like 35 pages, but it's 10, it's like really 10 little tips that I think are the beginning parts of a public healing program. And I'm, I'm really happy to be able to share that. Yeah, Amazing. And then what do you wish every woman knew? If it was like one takeaway. One takeaway. I know that's, uh, there's so many, but. You know, I, what I really would love all women to know is that the guru and the doctor lives within you. And all you need is the right mentor and the guide to bring that guru forward and that you ultimately hold the entire key to your healing. And not to feel like 
you can't do it, right? It's just a learning curve. And so I, I like women to know that, that, yeah, that they can open up. And in my center, as you know, we were really big on giving women the tips and the tools that they needed. We didn't be like, come see me three times a week. Like, ah, oh, first of all, I don't have time for that. Second of all, I really believe in partnership healthcare. So aligning yourself with someone who's going to teach you what to do for yourself and then you carrying that on and knowing that the doctor's within you, I think that that's the 21st century medicine, right? Yeah. I love it. And Thank you. And you, you and your son, I really embody it. Like, I think I went to Renew mm-hmm. three times and every single time I was given exercises and it was like, do the exercises. And it was really empowering me to take care of myself, which I loved. Yeah. 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 I mean, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Where can people find you? Well, they should go to pelvicpainrelief.com. That's my primary website where you can find a bunch of beautiful downloads. You can join my mailing list. You can follow me on Instagram. You know, I'm a lobby. If you, if you Google me, I'm all over the place. You'll find me. But pelvicpainrelief.com is the primary place that I, it's like my portal. Perfect. My educational portal. Nice. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Super informative. And it's such important information to share. I mean, every day, you know, I speak with women and meet women that are struggling and they don't know why, and they kind of don't know where to turn. So, but the information's out there. Thank you. Gratitude. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emily. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.